This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. funny guy everyone knows that he has one of the greatest canadian television shows in history and he hates talking about politics but he can talk about politics i i appreciate that about people when they um recognize that they have a zone that makes them feel uncomfortable and yet they can talk about it forever i do suspect though that spenny is one of those people who says he hates talking about politics but really kind of doesn't there's a rush that people feel um including I think my guest today, my, my guest today might also have, uh, my co-host today might also have a sort of love and hate uh, thing with politics. I, we all met him when he got really mad at a political situation in his hometown of Ottawa, but his name is Paul Atkinson. Paul, how are you, buddy? Hey, brother. I am great. How about yourself? I'm good. Good. Nice. I'm, I'm in one of those phases in life where it's like every time I, I feel sorry for myself, I imagine my kids looking at my face. And then I'm like, oh, okay, well, obviously I can't. Yeah, that's yeah, that's gonna leave a that's gonna leave a mark. Yeah, I haven't seen my kids in uh, about a month. Mm. Um, and there's all listen, I I can't get into it because I understand on advice of my legal counsel, it's nothing that I did. I I still am a legal fifty fifty parent and all that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. But other things have happened. I might talk about it a little bit later, just because um, not not about the legal stuff, but about what has happened. Actually, you know what? I'll just fucking I don't I don't care. <laughs> uh, no, because I because I just can't admit anything, right? So I'm not admitting any wrongdoings. Fair um, point. But something happened, and it ended up in jail in Ottawa for four days, and um, it wasn't like <laughs> I know. How do you explain something when you can't explain it? I, I ended up in jail for four days in Ottawa. Now, let's, who cares about how I got there? Let me just tell you something about jail, though. Don't throw out any food. Oh God, no. Okay, these are the these are the don'ts about prison. Okay, um, the first don't is don't throw out any food. The second don't is don't whistle. I didn't know that. What? I had no idea that you weren't allowed to whistle in jail. And I'm a whistler. I am like a like second nature, don't even realize I'm doing it whistler. Well, what's so the, my, 
What's the reason well, behind that, though? Well, I'll tell you. Like, so, so I'm like, <laughs> as I'm walking to the uh, to my bunk because it was mm-hmm. like a dorm of prisoners, of like 25 of us, right? And uh, so, I'm like whistling as I'm taking back. I don't know what it was, a fruit cup, something like that. Anyways, and um, I'm whistling because I got a fruit cup. The the irony of being in prison for four days, it was a lot less stressful than all the other shit that I've been going through. It was like almost like a vacation. Were you I at the Holiday Innis? No, I was at the Ottawa Correctional Facility, whatever the fuck. That On Innis Road, Holiday Innis. Oh, is that what it's called? Yeah, Holiday Innis. <laughs> Apparently it's room. a really rough prison. And now, very, yeah. Now it, it really helps. Is. It ha- here's a do. Here's a there's do's and don'ts. Here's one of the do's. If you're a dope ass rapper, let people know. I was the dopest rapper in my dorm. And, okay. And it made everything a lot easier. <laughs> it really did. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie to you. Um, but um, yeah. So so throwing out food is a, is a no no. Whistling is because it's associated with being a free person. Oh, yeah, and of course because I'm argumentative, I was just like, and this is already when I had my my street cred for being a rapper. I was just like, what's with the whistling thing? Like, wow, that's what free people do. And I'm like, you can own it. We can take it back from the free people and just start like a whistling fucking choir. We could do that, guys. So I was lucky. I got by on my personality, but um, (laughs) otherwise, I I was there with murderers and and you know rapists and. Mm Um, it, it's weird. They don't shy away from why they're in there. No, 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 no. You know, it's not like, what do you win for is like the opener. Mm-hmm. And, uh, they're like, is this your first time in jail? And I was like, been to the bullpen once. <laughs> <laughs> so they're like, so it's your first time in jail. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> but I'm a dope ass rapper. Well, I, I, I worked at Kingston penitentiary for, um, I think five months. And uh, I was installing a, a surveillance system in there, doing doing what oh. I do. Yeah. And that was an interesting time. I met Paul Bernardo while I was there. Um, oh. Disturbingly charming and good-looking man. I didn't know who he was. I just, you know, this guy's just started talking to me. And uh, I've told the story before, but I was <clears throat> literally in a manhole in the prison yard. And it, it's not a deep one because I could stand up and it came up to about here on me when I stood up. Uh, just a, just as an aside, a lot of prisoners in uh, in the Kings of the Pen hoped to be in Paul Bernardo's manhole. But go ahead. That's all I got. Hopefully. So I'm down there. Manhole is not my porn name. Please go. <laughs> I'm pulling fiber, and all of a sudden, everything stops. And I'm like, what the hell's going on? I'm, like, I'm on the radio calling, and nobody's responding. So I pop my head up, and I look around. I'm like, where the hell did every The whole prison yard was cleared. There was nobody. It was like a ghost town. And like five minutes prior to that, it was like this hub of activity. So I'm like, well, that was weird. And all of a sudden, uh, this tall, good-looking, physically fit, blonde-haired, beautiful man just says, hey, how's it going? I go, pretty good. How about yourself? He goes, gorgeous Friday. The weather's great. The sun is shining. It's, uh, you know, the May long weekend. What more can you ask for? I go, yeah, no kidding. eh?" He goes, hey, you have yourself a great weekend. And I go, you too. And then I watch him walk a few more meters. And then he turns right and goes into one of the condos. And I realized, oh, that's an inmate. And two minutes later, everybody comes back out. The whole yard comes back together. And I, oh. I on the radio, they call me. They go, yeah, you just talked to Paul Bernardo. And it was like, <laughs> it's like charming, good looking, charismatic, 
he actually, and I'm not lying when I say this, he made my day better. So I think I know how he got his victims. Yeah, no, but that's interesting. I, I, that, it's, it's an interesting piece of psychopathy, right? Like mm-hmm. it's, um, narcissists. That's what they do, right? Like, like that they, they have, and they're good at it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you've ever dated a narcissist, you know what I'm talking about. Like it's, it's one of the, maybe once things. or twice. Yeah. It, it's awful because at the beginning they make you feel like Superman mm-hmm. because they're so good at love bombing. Oh yep. God, they're great. And they're the best at uh, first impressions. Mm-hmm. Right. And so every time uh, someone met uh, one of my exes, they'd be like, oh my God, she is just so sweet. Mm-hmm. So salt of the earth. And da, da, da. I can't believe you call her a cunt all the time. You know? Sorry. <laughs> but, but, yeah, it well. <laughs> Listen, you didn't see her on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, you know. Um, you weren't yeah, there well, when, the, when, the, when the, the, sh- the spotlight wasn't on her. Yeah, that's when everything changes. Yeah. Um, but enough about that. Uh, so that's really interesting. So he goes out in the yard so no one will kill him, basically? Well, what, so what happened was he was in lockdown 23 hours a day. He had one hour of yard time. And it was literally in a small uh, fenced-in section. Uh, it was outside, but they were 20-foot high, chain-link fences with barbed wire. And everybody went into lockdown when he had his one hour. But on this particular weekend, his parents came to visit him. And there were six condos in the uh, in the prison yard at Kingston Penitentiary. So he lives in a condo? No, 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 no. Oh. No, he lived in a... Uh, a his, his cell was smaller than my recording booth. Uh, but it, if uh, so about the same size as my recording booth, <laughs> I don't know. Except his um, mommy wasn't there. Oh, she was visiting. Yeah. Forty square feet, very, very, very small. Um, yeah. So they had the condos, and if you, uh, your family came to visit from a faraway place, because if you got sent to Kingston Penn, it didn't mean you lived anywhere nearby. You could have been from Nunavut for all that you know. Mm-hmm. So if your family came to visit, they would give you a weekend in the condos to, to, to try and calm people down and chill people out. So he got a weekend a month or whenever his parents came to visit. And this, this just happened to be one of those weekends. And, uh, it was, it was a very surreal moment, you know, it, I've, and I've met some rough and tumble people throughout my life working as a nightclub DJ. You meet a lot of those folks and I'm actually going to be working on a series of shows, um, that I'm going to record. We can't live stream them because of the time frame and, and where my, uh, where the, where the subject is, is, uh, is living. It just won't correspond with our time our time zone so we're gonna to have to record the shows but it's going to be a series where he's going to talk about his life story and this is a person i've known for 30 years who was a hardened criminal um and i knew him on the periphery uh but he always liked me and he was always kind and and polite to me and and we became weirdly enough buddies and he always kept his how he earned his living he kept far away from me because he knew I, I never wanted any part of that. He's like, I, I didn't, I'm, I don't use drugs. Well, I use the legal ones, liquor, you know, alcohol, which is a drug. Um, that's Heroin. the strongest drug I've ever taken oh, is wait, whiskey. Yeah. Well, that's it's legal. You've never taken any drugs? No, no. Well, we got to fix that. But... No, no, no. You don't understand. I, uh, I'm allergic to too many things, dude. I'm afraid it would, might kill me. Like I can't even be I around cannabis. I would not like force you to do drugs. I don't know if this surprises you or not, but I wouldn't yeah. actually force no, you. No, I know. I know you wouldn't. I know you wouldn't. You're a good, kind, caring human being. I do know that yeah, about I don't you. Know about that, but you know. Well, you would have my welfare in, in mind. I will. 
Um, I wish I was allergic to drugs. <laughs> you know, it would solve a lot of problems. Well, you know, you have one anaphylactic shock or when you're just in the vicinity of something. It's like, okay, so none of that. I want no part of any of it. Anaphylaxis is really scary uh, when you feel like you're drowning, but you're not in water. You can't breathe because your lungs are closing up. You're, you're, yeah. You know, it's, it's a terrifying situation. So if you ever experience something like that, and I can say this with, you know, somebody who has, has experienced it, uh, it's... <laughs> You think you're going to die and you realize, you know, as your eyes swell shut and your throat swells up and you're thinking, okay, this is it. This is how I go out. I don't even get to leave a good looking corpse though, because. Yeah. And isn't that the important thing? You well, know, that's why, that's why I always appreciated when, uh, when big pussy from, uh, Sopranos was like, not in the face. Hey fellas. Yeah. 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 Speaking yeah. of his mom, unfortunately they then put him in a bag with chains and put him in the bottom of the ocean. So it wouldn't matter anyways, but. The thought was there for his loved ones. <laughs> uh, yeah. I wonder what it would be like to be just like in a moment where you're just like you're accepting that someone is about to murder you. And to bring yourself to the place where you're like, hey, not in the face. Like, you're, like you're done begging for your life and you're just like, all right. Yeah, I don't know. How about how about not that? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny. Uh, many people like myself who have done drugs over their lifetime. I probably almost OD'd a whole bunch of times and it still didn't stop us. But but maybe anaphylactic shock would would work. Probably would. You know? I did um in the year two thousand, um, I went to the living room in Toronto. Mm -hmm. And uh it was a it was a club that used to be there. I know um, it. Yeah, it's not there anymore. No. And someone um uh was like, Hey, do you want to do a, a bump of this? And I thought it was cocaine. Oh no. And there was like a little tiny bump there and then like kind of a big pile. And I was like, well, I'll just take the big pile, you know, right? And I took the big pile and they were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I was like, sorry about that. And holy fuck does this burn? They're like, dude, that's K. Oh no. I did like a half gram of ketamine in one, <laughs> in one bump, right? And I had never done that before. And by the way, never done it since. Because if everything, if, if I ever did drugs and this happened to me, I would never do drugs again. But ketamine is crazy. Um, I don't know if you, if you know anyone that's ever done it. There's people mm -hmm. that do it recreationally on purpose. Yeah. Why? I'm assuming they know Why? how to do it. I, yeah, because K-holes, which are scary for some people, are the best ever for others. For me, not quite the best ever. So I'm standing mm -hmm. outside the living room, and I'm there with my friend Laura. And, uh, and a bunch of other people. And Laura is sitting inside, like 15 feet away. And I'm standing on the outside with my hands on the outside bar ledge. And I'm looking at her. And then all of a sudden, I just do this. And then when I, when I look back up again, I'm now seated beside Laura, <laughs> looking where I was just standing. But I had no idea how I got there. I literally thought I just went like this. And when I was done, I would still be where I was, but I wasn't beside Laura. And I look at Laura, and Laura's like, James, are you going to answer me? I'm like, what did you say? She's like, why did you just fly through the window instead of taking the door? And I'm like, I have no fucking idea. <laughs> right? I don't and, remember that. And, I told, and I'm like, Laura, I just did a half gram of K, according to someone. I've never done K before. She's like, oh, no. She's like, let's go for a walk. So we went for a walk along, I don't know, Richmond or something. And, uh, and every time I pass by my reflection, I'd stop and look at it. 
And I'm like, I'm, and I remember Laura's name, but I couldn't remember my own. <laughs> I, I literally could. And I know that sounds like a joke. Haha. I literally cannot remember no, my name. That's and disturbing. I and I didn't tell her because I didn't want to freak her out. And also I was like confused as to why I remembered her name and not my own. And though it's funny though, because the whole time I'm like, I know this is just the drug, mm-hmm. but I still don't know my fucking name. There was a guy I went to high school with, um, and I, I was a year older than him. He was in the ninth grade. I was in the 10th grade. And for his final math exam, he decided he was going to, and I, I'm like, you, you did what? He goes, yeah, it's going to be fun. I'm like, I don't, did he, do? he snorted a hit of acid each well, nose. That. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> well, so they sat down they go, you have, you have uh, 90 minutes to write this math exam, math final exam. He goes, no problem. Uh, no, no, no. He got zero because he wrote his name for every answer and handed the paper in within about three minutes. He just sat down, wrote his name for every answer, and uh, handed it in and left. <laughs> oh, that's the greatest. That well, it's great. a funny story. Uh, and in the end, he... Uh, I'm going to say he turned out okay, but that's that's up for debate. Um, What's his first and last name, Paul? I'm not telling you that. <laughs> But I will tell you this. He works in um, the film industry. Okay. And, uh, I would have guessed that, probably. Well, he, he, he was a drummer in a band for a while. And he toured with Vanilla Ice for <laughs> about a year back That's in the day. did acid. Yeah. Uh, there's a, there's a famous acid. picture of him um, in the... So it's in the grotto, and Vanilla, Vanilla Ice is in the grotto. And he's about to, he's cannonballing into the grotto and he's in midair in the photo. It's a famous photo that I've seen many times. I don't know how many people have seen it and it's not mine to share. So I never will, but I can tell you about it because it is in the public domain. (laughs) Uh, And this is a guy I've known since like 1980. Um, And, and, you know, a bunch of years ago when I was going through a rough patch, he just, for some reason, he just reached out to me. He goes, Hey brother, how's it going? I go, well, I just lost my job. Pardon? Sorry. Is it Hulk Hogan? No. Hey, brother, how's it going? Just lost my job. I said I'm flat broke. You know, I've hardly had any work, and it was I was in a really bad spot. And he goes, "Here's five hundred dollars." I'm like, "What?" He goes, "Here, here's five hundred dollars." Now I want you to do something for me. And I go, "Okay." He goes, "Um, "I have a couple of cars I'm selling to somebody in Sweden. Uh, How do I do that?" I go, "What do you mean?" He goes, "I just want to know what the tax implications are." So I spent a couple of days looking it up and I go, here's what you're looking at. And he goes, okay, cool. Uh, you want to come to Sweden with me? I go, what? <laughs> he goes, well, I'm going to deliver them in person. We can have a great time. I've got a, I know a bunch of women there. I'm like, no, I, I can't do that. I've got an EI check coming in. Thank you for the 500. You tied me over until my first EI check. And I got to look for work. He goes, you're out of work. Let's go to Sweden. I'm like, I don't. You know, I don't have any money. I don't think that's a good idea. I didn't go also because I know he's. I love him and he's a friend and I've known him for 44 years, but he's a lunatic. Can you give him my number? <laughs> oh, you guys would die if you spent a weekend together. I don't know. I the don't last know. time he came to Ottawa, I won't tell you when it was, but he calls me up. He goes, yeah, we're going out to this club. He goes, we're on the VIP. Just show up, give me your name and they'll let you in. I'm like, okay. So I show up and he's got bottle service. He's got all this vodka, all this stuff. And he goes, all right, we're partying. We're having a good time. And he's suited up. And I'm like, what? I didn't know we were supposed to suit up. He goes, ah, don't worry about it. Then all these strippers start coming in 
And then we ended up at a party in Barhaven, of all places, at 4 a.m. And we're That's playing. That's uh, cities where the monologue, or where, the, where the monorail existed. And we're playing the. Uh, they were, we're playing uh, what was it? Rockstar. Uh, what was the guitar game there? Um, guitar Hero. Guitar Hero. Yeah, we're playing Guitar Hero at like 5 a.m. The sun's coming up, and I'm like, I got to get some fresh air. I go outside. The sun's up, and I'm sitting in the backyard. And my friend, uh, one of my friends was like, you want a coffee? I go, I'd love a coffee. I just, you know, I got to get home. I don't even know how the hell, where am I? I don't even know where I am. And this is pre-Uber, right? So I'm like, it's, I'm going to have to call a cab. pre-Uber for me, but I've never used Uber. Go ahead. And a friend of mine says, oh, I can, where do you live? I go downtown. She goes, I can drop you off. I'm like, really? Hmm. So th- this woman brings me a coffee and it was like a Bailey's Irish coffee. And it had more whiskey than coffee in it. I drove Goes, Can I also have her number? <laughs> so I'm sitting beside the pool and uh, I'm drinking a Bailey's coffee at like 6 a.m. on a, on a Sunday morning because we went out on the Saturday. And no and drugs. Like, and I'm drunk. I'm st- I'm like, we've been drinking all night. And I'm like, I just I just want to go home. Can I, but I have to finish right this for, coffee. Let me, let me stop you right there for a second. You do realize that the you were the only one awake without the assistance of cocaine at that point, right? You yes. must know this. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Strippers, buddy, 6 a.m. Yeah. You know, come on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nightclub DJ, man. I, I can I can go longer than most people. Drug free. Yeah, I was a rape promoter. Um, there was no. You know. Drug, yeah, there was no drug free. Um, well, there was for me. Yeah, we didn't we didn't manage DJs that didn't do drugs. <laughs> we, we didn't trust them. We were always worried that they were cops. I'm not kidding. Because we used I believe to get. It. Now that it's. Is there a statute of limitations on importing narcotics? Uh, I don't know. I would keep that one under your hat. <laughs> nah, I don't care. Um, <laughs> in the year 2000, we used to uh, import MDMA straight from Holland um, because we had a guy that worked at the airport. And worked, of course. He worked in baggage. Um, so certain bags always got through. But um, we never, and, and we used to get... They love DJs loved us because all, we managed like 30 DJs and we used to throw like every two months we'd throw big giant events. But we we would have somewhere to go every Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Actually, even more than that, probably Wednesday, too, because of Limelight. But um, mm, Limelight go, was a good club. Yeah, it was. Um, we used to, you know, we used to go out all the time. And so we used to um, pay our DJs um, and, and also give them a couple of hits of MDMA. And, uh, you know, they, and, and they loved us for it. Listen, I, I know I know it makes especially people that don't do drugs. Actually, you would be the exception to the rule because being ensconced in sort of the electronic mm-hmm. music scene, I will never call it EDM because I'm too no. old. Um, but the electronic music scene, like it or not, um, MDMA um, was part of the culture. Oh, yeah. it, just, it just was. Whether or not you partook in it, not all it that. It was always there. But it was always there. And here's the thing. For a lot of us lost suburbanites, people that grew up in the suburbs, I have a whole theory about how the suburbs is a culture-killing enclave. I agree with you. (laughs) You know, like, if you're, if you're, like, Irish, uh, Scottish, or English, or fucking even Portuguese or Greek or whatever, there are only certain families that were, like, if your parents were second generation, you probably weren't ensconced in the culture of your parents. Absolutely not. Yeah. In the suburbs. Yeah. So my Italian friends in, in like Toronto, some like at St. Clair. Sure. Their grandma still lived with them. It smelled like an Italian house. They played like Italian opera. 
plastic you know, on the, the furniture. Mom was always trying to get you to eat. That was an Italian household. My household, which was my mom was Dutch, my dad was Italian. There was no like, maybe at Christmas we would get bitabala, mm. you know, like a Dutch appetizer, and 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 a Sunday sauce is really all it was. But otherwise, uh, the sub. Sorry, I'm getting to my point. Um, uh, the suburbs was a a place where, um. You could look at it one of two ways. It's where culture went to die, especially when it came to your family's ethnicity, or where you built your own. Now, oftentimes, because you didn't know you were building your own because you were a kid, your culture then became video games. Oh, yeah, uh, absolutely. Road hockey and bush parties, right? That was like the new culture. And what um, the reason why the rave scene was so powerful for, for some of us, and I got there late, but... Um, was because we were all quietly and probably subconsciously looking for something that fed into our natural instinct to want to be cultured. Oh, absolutely. And so, what the, and, and the unfortunate byproduct of living in the suburbs can often be a complete shutdown when it comes to things like empathy, when it comes to things like depth in conversations. It was a lot of ball busting. And probably not being really like sweet to women like you could just being idiot guys and all that kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden I, re I discovered the rave scene quite accidentally. And I uh, did MDMA for the first time at like 22. And I'm sitting there at this after party. I happened to live with the biggest promoter in the city. Um, he just happened to be my roommate. That's kind of So I got a crash course. Like, like my first ever electronic music show was in 1999. And it was Tiesto's first show in North America. Well, that's a that's a trial by fire. Well, it was awesome because Tiesto and I got high together, and we still talk to this day. <laughs> so it was great. <laughs> but but the thing is, is that when I took ecstasy, I'm sitting there at this after party, and all of a sudden, I'm just like sitting there, like, holy fuck, this is. I just want to like confide and share, and da, da, da. and it wasn't like in an uncontrolled way, like alcohol is or cocaine mm -hmm. is or whatever. And the cool thing was, is that I woke up the next day and whatever window of being a more loving person, being more personable, being more empathetic, stayed with me. Oh, wow. It never went away. So it was almost like um, the culture and the drug, uh, you know, had a role to play in making me discover, hey, stupid, life isn't just about busting balls and not mm. having deep conversations. Like, look at all the things that you did last night. And now there's still a whole bunch of people scattered in our apartment just waking up. And they're nice. There was never, I never went to a rave and there was, where there was a fight or even an I, argument. You know what? I, I went to many a rave uh, throughout the 90s. Uh, in, and, and in the early 90s, like 92, 93, I went to raves. And I remember friends came to visit once from out of town and they lived in a small town. And I said, I'm going to bring you to a rave tonight. They go, Really? this is going to be wild. What do I got to do? And I go, just be yourself. Everybody will be super friendly, super kind. Nobody has an attitude. There will not be a single fight. Everybody will be polite. You're going to be surprised. And they're like, really? And I go, trust me. So we go to this, we go to this warehouse rave in the West end of Ottawa. And it used to be a roller rink and it then it became a warehouse. And then now I don't know what the hell it is today. We get there and I walk in and I go, so we're going to go into the first room and the volume of the music was like, I, I couldn't hear my, like it was, it was insanely loud. Yeah. 
I couldn't stay for like more than two minutes. It's like this is this is too much. I can't take it. Like concrete walls, kind of. It was. It was. Well, think of the loudest concert you've ever been to, and then crank it up. It was. Concert I ever been to was the Rage Against the Machine show at the Civic Auditorium in Toronto. Okay, so increase that by fifty percent. There were no like there were people in the middle of the dance floor. Like you know how you get people at raves that'll yep. be right in front of the speakers. Yeah. I don't know who was running the sound, but it was too, it was too much. There were people right dead center, and they were clustered together. They couldn't be anywhere near the speaker. It was too much. It was way too loud. Yeah. So we went to the chill room, and everybody in the chill room was like, "Hey, how's it going? Yeah. Do you want some Vicks? Do you want some Tiger yeah. Bomb? Do you, would you like a massage? Platonic? Would you like? Can, yeah. Would you like a haircut? There's a guy over there giving yeah. haircuts. <laughs> How about an orange?" And my friends were like, what the hell? I go, this is rave culture, man. Plur, peace, love, unity, respect. Apparently that doesn't exist anymore, I'm told. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Have you ever thought, I'd love to have a podcast just like this one? Well, I can help. My name is Matt Kundal, and everyone at my company, the Sound Off Podcast Network, had a hand in making this show. Whether it was about the sound, the discoverability, or that you're just enjoying the show, we are all about the detail. If you think you have a podcast in you, reach out to me via email, matt at soundoff.network. Or check out the website and become one of the great podcasts we work with at soundoff.network. It doesn't. Um, a lot of that has to do with Mel Lastman. Mm. Um, we threw shows until like 2002. And then Mel Lastman killed it. Um or he killed it with the policy when he was, I don't remember what year he was in office until um, like 2004 or five or something, but um, he, he just made it, he just made the cops shut everything down all the time. So the only places that were left um, were like the actual clubs. Mm-hmm. And they had now decided that despite the fact that we fucking brought people in all the time, um, they noticed two things. One thing they noticed is that not big drinkers, mm-hmm. Right, um, the, at all. Rave crowds are not big drinkers. Like you can only mark up water so much. So much right? Smart drinks. Remember smart yeah, drinks. I do remember smart drinks. Um, and then the other thing was, um, uh, so so corporate sponsors uh, for clubs were often alcohol companies, mm-hmm. and so they just wanted to change the vibe, and started heavily promoting to the nine hundred five um, area code uh, and and not to downtown people like us so that they would drink more, yeah. you know? And I understand it was an economic decision. I get it's it. Still once in a while, like there's still like, um, like the promise raves still happen. Mm. Um, Harvest Fest still happens. Um, so there's still a couple of things. I haven't gone to any, I, I'm, I don't think I would ever go again. Um, but, but it did, again, it did provide me with, with something that I could, I could at least take away something from that scene. Um, mm. And, and it's not, you know, and I don't, I don't do ecstasy. I haven't done ecstasy in, I don't even know how long. In quite, oh, well, actually, a couple of years ago. But um, before <laughs> that, like ten years ago. But but there is a, 
I, I, I guess it would if if I was going to compare it to something, I guess I would maybe compare it to like sort of like the hippie movement of the 60s. Mm-hmm. This was like the 90s version of that. It, it you know, the thing was, I remember when I saw it coming around in the early 90s. And oh, it's it's the crazy. I'm like, no, man, it's it's the flower children. It's just the new version. It's all it is. It's all it is. It's young people who, uh, and and you got to remember at the time when this started, there was a war going on in Iraq. Yeah, in the early '90s. Uh, so that it, you know, the Gulf War, and 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 that was a, a disturbing to us because there hadn't been a shot fired by by our side, if you will, since, you know, 1975 when Vietnam, mm. Saigon fell and, and Canada wasn't even involved in that war. You know, we, we were part of Cyprus and, and every now and then there were shots fired, but there was nothing that, that, that directly affected us as people. So when the Gulf War came around in 1990, it was, uh, we were convinced the world was going to end. So, you know, there's, I mean, what was I, 22 years old at the time? And I had friends who just started going to raves and they're like, just come, man, it'll change your life. So I went and they never served alcohol. So, and I don't do drugs. So, I, you know, it's like have a couple of drinks, show up to the rave and, and drink some water and, and had a good time. Drink bottled water that was sealed. <laughs> yeah. Well, you probably wouldn't have to worry about it there, though. Like that's No, you're, it's true. That's true. Yeah. That's true. But, you know, your, your paranoid brain is working over time. Uh, but, but I never had a bad time at a party ever. And then of course they eventually moved into the clubs and we had some pretty legendary clubs here in Ottawa back in the day. Atomic, if you are of a certain age, I've been to Atomic, you know it then it was legend. Well, Max Graham kind of got his start there. Max is a buddy. We used to work together. Max Graham. We've had, we, we did like three Max Graham events. Oh yeah. Well, I remember when he went, when he went global and I was like, Jesus, man, I remember when he worked at Astrolite and he was spinning hip hop. And Dude, Max, he paid Max Graham like fifteen grand in like the year two thousand. Like yeah. he was, you know, he was making money. Well, he lives in Montreal now, and I've I've chatted with him once or twice. I haven't in a long time. I mean, you lose touch, life changes. But I remember when he was spinning hip hop, and he decided he was going to learn how to play house and hard techno. Uh, so he dedicated himself, and he literally sat in his basement for a year and worked on his craft. He he was dedicated. He was. One of the DJs, the very few DJs I knew in Ottawa who decided I was going to earn a living at this. And most of us back then. didn't do drugs. No, no, no. And that was one of the things that I remember about him because he was like the only DJ. He was straight edge. Yeah, yeah. Max is always, Max is a good guy and a a skilled DJ and a good songwriter. And a a businessman too. Yes, yeah. And, uh, I mean, he had residencies all over the world and we were so proud of him. It was like, dude, I'm so happy for you, man. You, you, you put the work in and you turned it into a real gig. And this was at a time when, you know, a a real, a a full-time living as a DJ was you were doing weddings and corporate events. You might have a club gig once in a blue moon, but you weren't making a good living at it. And then he started, you know, it's, he was right there when it really started to take off when the DJ became the act you went to see. And I mean, now it's, I mean, come on, it's insane today. Tiesto will play in front of 100,000 people. I know. And it's so funny. People don't understand how much clout before the word clout meant what it means today, but how much clout big name DJs had back then. Crazy. Like we we brought in Tiesto in in 99, um, paid him like 12 grand. Year 2000, paid him like 30. 
and then the year 2001 paid him like 50 and then couldn't afford him anymore because <clears throat> he started making a couple hundred grand a gig. People have no idea the kind of market disruption that electronic music DJs created it's in insane. the music scene mm-hmm. because they weren't often attached to labels, right? Mm-hmm. And often they were independent. And if they were attached to labels, they weren't attached to labels that would play that stupid advanced scam game or, or, or throw a quarter million into marketing. They didn't have to because the culture did it for them. Yep. As soon as you went to tribe.ca, right? Mm-hmm. Remember the tribe board? Yeah. As soon as you went there and, and posted an event, if it was a good DJ, your event would sell out. Oh, yeah. You didn't have to. So so it was just such a, a disruption. Um, when it came, Like, they made more. They probably still do. Like, if, if you told me that The weekend makes as much as Tiesto, I would be completely shocked. Mm-hmm. I agreed. Well, it, it, like, Calvin Harris, I think one year he earned $65 million in a year playing records. That is mind-blowing to me. Now, Avicii, uh, who, uh, you know, may he rest in peace, he was different than a lot of DJs because uh, he was a musician. He played guitar. He, he knew how to write music. Uh, and, and, and he also was an incredibly gifted uh, creator. I saw him in the studio with Nile Rodgers. And if, for those of you who don't know who Nile Rodgers is, he's a producer, he's a writer. He was with, uh, you know, the song Le, Le Freak by Chic. Yep. Uh, freak out. Da, 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 da. That's Nile Rodgers, for those of you who don't know. Anyway, Nile's in the studio with him, and he was saying he's like a modern Beethoven. He sees the entire thing laid out in his head. Mm-hmm. He has it all there. He knows what sound needs to be placed at what place at what time. And he creates all of this out of thin air. And then he writes and records it. And he goes, and I've never witnessed anybody like this in my life. He is a modern Beethoven. And they kind of worked him to death, which is the sad story. And his, he was a genius, a musical genius. And there was a documentary I watched about him a couple of years ago on Netflix. And it was like, it'll bring tears to your eyes, man. Because this kid, they worked him to death. What do you mean they? His management company. Oh, really? You have to appear, you have to appear. And he's like, I'm in the hospital with pancreatitis. You got to be on stage. It was like that line from the uh, Austin Butler Elvis movie. I don't care what you do, make sure he's on stage playing tonight. Colonel Tom. Yeah, yeah. when he was on like 7,000 pills. Yep. Whatever you do, get him on stage tonight. That boy needs to be on stage. That's what they did to Avicii, Tim Berglinger. They, they, you know, he retired when he was like, was he even 30? He's like, that's it, I'm retiring from music. And he went to live on an island, and then he took his own life, sadly. Yeah, people don't know, like, the pressure to oh. being being that kind. Like, I, um, the third year that we had Tiesto, um, we, where did we play? The Docks in Toronto. Mm. Um, and, you know, 4,000 people or something like that. And um, and then, so he came back. The DJs always came back to, to our after party or our apartment. So this time... Mm came back to our apartment um, before we went to the after party. And the after party was at a record store, actually, on Spadina. But um, we, so we're sitting there, and uh, we're pretty high. We're on Evo, but we're sitting on a balcony, and we're smoking a joint. 
And uh, I looked at him. I'm just like, you know, you've come a long fucking way, dude. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like. First of all, thank you for only making us pay you fifty grand because I know you're getting double that in Ibiza. You know, and I know that Toronto's not Ibiza, but we have a big scene here. Like, I appreciate it. And he's like, he was so nice. He was like, he's like, honestly, he's like, I hate Ibiza. You know, like he's like, he's like coming here. He's like, first of all, he's like, fifty grand's a lot of money. I would never say that it's not a lot of money. And I was like, well, that's good to hear. Can I have 25 of it back? <laughs> right. It's like, he's like, no. <laughs> right. But he was like, but you know, he's like, you know, the, 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 the 50 grand gigs, he's like, which my, which my own manager said that I can't really do anymore, mm-hmm. but they made an exception for you guys because you were the first. And when he says you, it wasn't me. It was my roommate that yeah. brought him in the first year. The second two years, I was the creative director of the company. So, like, I actually had something. But, like, the first year, I was just, like, a hanger-on or, mm-hmm. or a roommate or whatever the fuck you want to call it. He's like, but the 50 grand gigs that we do, we did, like, you know, I, I started out my career in North America with you guys. Mm-hmm. He's like, I have no problem doing the show. And I enjoyed this a lot much more than I would enjoy the show in Ibiza, even though I'd be getting paid two, three times as much. And he's like... And I and I I asked him even though I knew the answer I was like why though like what makes you enjoy it more maybe I just wanted to hear him mm-hmm. hear what he would say and he's like because I can never have conversations like this when I'm in Ibiza because there's always like a manager there or a club owner there or a fucking like hostess there or some girl there yeah. or whatever and you're just never and the only time you can be alone is in your hotel room and then you're not alone because your friends are there and he's like. I don't know if you noticed, but I only came on this trip with my with myself and my manager. And you know where my manager is right now? And I'm like, hi, somewhere, I'm imagining. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's right. In his hotel with the girl that he picked up at the at the event. He left like halfway through my set. And I'm like, oh. He's like, yeah, he trusts you guys. And I'm like, would you like another pill? <laughs> <laughs> but it was like, and, and even when I say the word Tiesto, I, I'm sure there's a whole bunch of people in the in the chat that have no idea who that is. He is. He was like consistently ranked the world's number one DJ for like mm-hmm. a decade. Oh, and making crazy money. He, he's played Ottawa a number of times, and I've had a few friends who've gone to see him. And I, I don't know the man. I've never met him. Uh, I've never even seen him play because he sells out in like two seconds. Yeah. And so Escapade is Ottawa's electronic music festival, and it happens uh, in the summertime. And it's 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 a medium sized festival. By European standards, it's very tiny. By North American standards, it's medium-sized. But here's the thing. Um, I've spoken to some people who have worked it, and I've spoken to some DJs who've worked it, and they said they love to play this city. And I was like, really? Ottawa? He goes, yeah. Because unlike a lot of other cities around the world, when they come to Ottawa, the people who are going to the shows here Yes, you're going to have a few Instagram influencers who are there for that and that only. Mm. He says, but the vast majority of the people that are at the show, the vast majority, 95% of them are there for the music and for the experience. They're not posing. They're there for the experience. And I was like, wow, I I had no idea. He's like, yeah, you'd be surprised. He says, the, the thing about the Ottawa scene that a lot of people don't realize is it's this is one of the most educated cities in the world 
Dude, Toronto, Canada's, all of Canada's cities. Yes. Montreal, Toronto, Ottawa, not so much Vancouver, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, Calgary to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. But Montreal, Toronto, Ottawa, so respected as far as our knowledge of yep. electronic music and, and that scene in general. It's wild. It's it's mind blowing to me. I'm like, really? I had, you know, it's one of those things. If you, because I'm I'm not in the scene anymore, right? I, come on, I'm old, but I still have friends who are on the periphery and a couple of friends who are involved in it to a certain degree, and and they tell me, oh man, we're well respected. I'm like, I had no idea. Yeah. But at the same token, I'm not surprised. I didn't know, but I wasn't surprised. I'm like, yeah, that's reasonable. Because, yeah. you know, when, when I would go to those shows, people were there. Sure, the experience is part of it. But they were never there to pose. It was never, I need to be seen. You go to a nightclub if you want to be seen. You go to no. a, something yeah. like that because you believe in it. You, you know? went with a crew of trusted friends. Yep. Okay. And sometimes, if you were, if you, if you were like me, that, that crew was like 10 to 12 people. Mm-hmm. But we, we fortunately also had um, the luxury of like, um, you know, being being with the DJ and being wherever we wanted in the club or whatever. But here's the thing. Th- that wasn't the shit that, that I really loved. It was like, you mentioned the chill-out room earlier. Oh, yeah. The chill-out room was the greatest place ever because yeah. you could go there. They were playing like some deep house, but you could still have a conversation or they were playing trip hop or something. You could still Usually have a conversation. Usually trip hop. Yeah. yeah, but it was but it was it was like a very comfortable volume. It was not an ear splitting. You could talk to you could literally talk to the person right beside you. You didn't have and, to scream. And that is where I literally learned something new about myself, which was that I'm capable of like uh, I'm capable of I, I know this is going to sound awful, but I was a late bloomer in a lot of ways. So when I was 22, 23, whatever, that's when I discovered that I could have platonic, completely ulterior motive free conversations with really hot women. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and, and, I'm, and what I'm doing right now is I'm saying my bad because of the way I was before that. And now I'm still like that. Like, I don't you know, and, and it, it just did so much for my personal growth. The mm-hmm. rape scene. It, oh, yeah, it really did. Oh, no, I you believe know, it. You know, and it's. Uh, I miss it. I miss it sometimes because I don't have anything to compare it to. Uh, the closest thing I can even think of is like maybe having like a reunion with a half a dozen friends at a pub and just mm-hmm. chilling and talking all night or something like that. But, you know, but the the openness, mm-hmm. you know, like the the idea that um, like uh, like one time I was getting a, a massage, just a, just a shoulder rub. Mm-hmm. And I was really high, and I was like, I, I, I was sitting there, and I was kind of like shifty a little bit. And this girl came up to me, and she's like, are you okay? And I'm like, I, I think I'm a little too high, to be honest with you. She's like, would you like a back rub? Like, would you like a shoulder rub? I'm like, yeah, okay. I might stop you, though, in case it makes you feel it. She's like, no, no, it's okay. So she's give me, like, a shoulder rub, mm-hmm. and we're just having a great conversation. I don't even remember what she looked like because I'm not thinking like that. I'm mm-hmm. not. I, this woman is just making me feel calm. And then this guy walks in, and she's like, hey, baby. Like, oh, baby, how are you? Good. It was her boyfriend who had nothing to fucking say yeah. about his girl giving me a shoulder massage. And and it wasn't because they were too high. It was because it doesn't fucking mean anything it in was, the it context was, yeah. of that situation. And, yeah. and I learned so much. That's what I'm talking about. I learned so much about men and women about, like, in that era, like, of my life. Like, it just was so helpful. You know, now, now it's funny because I would never even think about touching another man's wife's shoulders. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's too fucking bad in a way because 
it doesn't have to mean something. Do you know it's I mean? not, like, it's not always sexual. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. And, and, and I, I experienced a lot of that as well. Seeing not, I was never in your position, but I'd certainly seen a lot of that and it was completely, completely non-sexual. It was completely platonic. It was completely innocent. It was like, Hey, you're a person, you're freaking out. I can calm you down. And I saw a lot of that, a lot of that. And of course, you know, I'm drug free. So I'd be like, well, I don't know what it's like to experience, you know, whatever they're going through and I don't ever want to, but I, I'm glad that there's somebody there that can help them get through it because it's, oh, yeah. it's not a pleasant time when they're freaking like that. And there was always, you know, somebody here, you need some tiger balm here. Let me give you a back rub. And there was always back rubs constantly. You saw that so much here, take an orange. You need an orange. There was always somebody handing out oranges and you need some water. They'd be like, you got to hydrate. Here's some water. Saw a lot of that, man. It was a, yeah. Plur was a real thing. For those of you who don't know what Plur was, it was the acronym for peace, love, unity, and respect. And it, it was a real thing. It's gone. It doesn't exist anymore. Uh, it, it, it you know, to steal a line from the movie, uh, pump up the volume, all the great themes have been taken over and turned into theme parks. You know, it's been yeah. completely corporatized. It, and, and look, there's a part of me that respects the hell out of it. Like if you go to Coachella and they have the rave tent, have you seen how big that tent is? You could put a Zeppelin in that thing. It's so big. It can hold 20,000 people in a tent. And I bet you like at least half of them are between the ages of like 35 and 50. Yes. Yeah. You know? and, and you've got like some of the biggest DJs in the world up there and they're just having the time. And I'm watching this stuff. I'm watching Coachella on YouTube and I'm like, I'd really like to go there to experience it. But do I want to be there for the entire weekend? Mm, maybe just go to the rave tent and then leave. Yeah. I would just go to the rave tent and be there all night. And then and leave. Hope, and hope that it was. Well, actually, I don't know if I would anymore. I, I hope it's not. You know what's interesting is that I have a. I went to a Whistler once in, in, uh, just before I got into the rave scene, actually. I went to Whistler. <laughs> and, um, and I really dislike the clickiness of the snowboarders. Mm -hmm. I understand. And, and I wasn't sure now in reflection if it's because I didn't snowboard. Because I w I'm wondering how my friends and I came off in the racing. Like I, but but we weren't mean though, so mm. we were never like judge people and give them the once over and be like, "Well, you don't know what fucking trance is." Like we weren't yeah. like that, right? Like yeah. we weren't like that at all. We you were, weren't we dicks. Were very inviting. Yeah. We, 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 in fact, I yeah. So that that is my own question. Like it wasn't clickish. It was uh, it was a community. Mm -hmm. You know, as cheesy as that sounds, like no, I, no, I get it. I was, I was a part of it. You know, I saw it and firsthand witnessed it, and participated in it. And it really was a loving, caring community. I don't know how else to say it. Now, where, where are those people today? Uh, some of them didn't make it out. Some of them, uh, I know a bunch of those, but but I'm you know, friends with a handful of them still to this day. And the ones who did make it out are doing well. Some didn't. You know, it's it's one of those things. They go down a rabbit hole, get involved in whatever. And maybe they don't come back. And I, and I saw a few people who I'm like, you need some help, man. Uh, I'm fine. I'm like, well, you can't, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. Yeah. And there was people I knew who, 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 you know, hopefully they were able to find their way through. Not everybody did. Some people didn't make it. Yeah. But there's you, a bunch of people I know that didn't make it. Um, yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, they were the ones that you expected not to make it. 
I'm imagining <laughs> if my if my if my friends back then and that and some of them that I still talk to are being honest may have thought that I was going to be one of them that didn't mm-hmm. make it. Yeah. Um, and they would have been right a couple times. Um, you know, actually, that just reminds me because um, I know that I have a couple people from Whitby that are watching. <clears throat> I just like to say rest in peace to Matt Anderson. Mm. Matt Anderson is a guy that uh, we all knew in high school, like a big, big lad. He was like six five, like three fifty kind of guy, right? Big fella. Just, but the friendly giant. Mm. You know, like if you were ever in a fight at the bar that he happened to be bouncing at, you could count your lucky stars because not only is he going to protect you from yourself and from the other person, but he's not going to call the cops. And because I can't, I could never imagine without that infectious smile on his face. He also was going to calm you down. Yeah. Um, so Matt Anderson, rest in peace. Uh, there's there's hundreds and hundreds of people that are sorry for your loss, man. Yeah. No. You know what? Like I wasn't an inner circle friend, mm-hmm. um, but we had reconnected uh, a couple years ago over music, over our love of hip hop, and um, and uh, like I, I was looking over our chats, and I'm like, wow, we chatted a lot, and. You know, I, I never got the chance to see him, though, um, since 20 years ago. So wow. that was unfortunate. But uh, rest in peace, Matt Anderson. I know that uh, you are the big homie and you've been uh, you were loved by so many people. Did you ever know anyone like that? That like any gentle giants? Yeah. Everyone just like not only did, did they love him, but he seemed to love everyone. I knew a few guys like that. There was uh, I, I'm, I'm thinking of two. Well, actually, four particular individuals. Uh Two of them are, are still very much around. Uh, one of them, I think he is in New York City as a lawyer. And the other one is in Montreal, and he is a lawyer. And one of them, he he was a bartender. And I, I'm not going to say his name because people would know who I met right away if I said it. And and I don't, it's not, you know, it's not my story. Is but he was Pony a bartender. Boy? Is it Pony Boy? Yes, that's exactly who it was. <laughs> he, he was a bartender, but he was uh, like this, he had this, he was the sweetest, most charming happy smiley guy and you'd hang out with him and then one night we're out it was an industry night we're at a bar and on sunday night it's about two in the morning and somebody i'm standing at the bar and my buddy is standing behind me with another buddy and my bartender buddy was standing behind him right so there's the three of us and we're waiting for drinks and somebody bumped me and i was like ah sorry about that and he's what'd you say and he wanted to pick a fight with me and my friend just reached over and put his hand on his shoulder and said I don't think you want to do that. Just smiled at him. <laughs> and he just sort of looks. Yeah. And walked away. And it was one so of those disarming. things where. The well, smiling and, giant, right? Smi- yeah. and, and here's the thing. It was until, and I'd known this guy for a couple of years. We'd gone for drinks. We hung out at the club he worked at. I didn't realize how freaking big he was until that moment. Yeah. He was like six foot four and just had gigantic mitts on him, you know? And he put the hand on the guy's shoulder and said, I don't think you want to do that. And the guy smiled and did one of these. I don't think left. I want to either. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 There was, an, there was a two other fellas then. And one of them I see once in a blue moon. Another one I talk to every now and then. And these guys are legends in this city. And, I mean, big guys. Six foot five uh, and six foot seven. And... Look, if so, one guy had had the you could push him, push him, push him, push him, and he okay, stop, that's enough. You got to go, you got to go, you got to go. Then he would snap. And what made him different from the other fellow was the other guy was quick to snap, but he'd go, okay, you've had enough. Whereas the other guy would keep wailing on somebody, and my buddy would have to pull him off of him. Yeah, 
And I'm not going to say their names because, again, you know, anonymity to a certain degree. But anybody who knows these two fellas know. And and it was funny. A couple of years ago, I'm sitting in the pub one night having a conversation with the bartender. And I was saying, oh, yeah, my friend, blah, blah, blah. And she goes, oh, that's my uncle. I go, what? She goes, well, not my blood uncle, but I have always called him uncle so-and-so. I'm like, oh, so you know about the story when, when this happened? She goes, yep, yep, yep. I remember that. The night he got shot seven times and chased the guy down the street for about six blocks and decided maybe I should go to the hospital now because he was bleeding out and got in, literally hailed a cab, went to the hospital. <laughs> wow. <laughs> what? The guy pulled a gun on him. He threw him out of the club. The guy pulled a gun on him. He goes, well, if you're going to pull that, you better be ready to damn well use it. So he sought him like seven times. He fired, clipped off eight rounds. Uh, seven of them hit him. Obviously, you know, three in one arm, uh, one in the leg, uh, shoulder, and he got two in the stomach, which could have been fatal. Thankfully, they weren't. Mm. Uh, and, and I mean, the guy who shot him, nobody's ever seen him again. So we don't know what happened if he left town or, or if, you know, somebody made him leave town. But uh, yeah. That was a real story. It really happened. I remember he came into work a couple of days later and his arms in a sling. I go, bro, what's up? And he goes, I got shot. I'm like, what? And to him, he was like, yeah, well, you know, it's just one of the. One of... I was going to put this on the screen for a second. This is, uh, this is my homie. This is Matt oh. Anderson. Um, again, rest in peace. They're doing a celebration of life, I think, on Monday. Mm. Um, but he was such a good guy. Like, there's so many. Go look at the joy in his eyes. He looks like a happy fella. Oh, he's totally like, he, he's one of those dudes that's like, hold on a second. Like, Oh, you know what I mean. I'm just, I mean, I don't know if I should be showing pictures of his kids or whatever. He's also a musician. We connected over music. Look at him. Oh yeah, yeah. You know what I mean. Like he's just one of those guys, right? Like it's just you want to hang out with him. You want to hang out with him. Everyone that knew him loved him. All of them, right? Like like every like you're you're seeing gentle giant. Uh, you're mm. seeing like you know the the big lug. Like everyone, big man. People called him big man. Like he's just. Again, he was like he, he was one of the bouncers that like like when I was in my youth and I was in my kind of crazy phase, like when I was like 15, 16 or whatever. And I saw that Matt as a 17, 18 year old was bouncing at stairways in Whitby. Mm-hmm. I would be like, oh, OK, good. <laughs> I wouldn't get any fights that night because yeah. not only did, did I, I, you know, like he's just he was a good bouncer and not like an asshole bouncer, but I didn't want to disappoint him. Mm-hmm. Mm. I didn't want him to see me being a fucking idiot. Right. If he wasn't bouncing that night, chances are I probably would have gotten into a fight. <laughs> right. Like. But if he was there, I'm not going to let there, my buddy down. He, he was one of those guys that his example was just what you needed to to not fuck up. You know, like good a good lad. Matt Anderson, here's I'm raising a glass to you. Uh, empty glass, but here to you, brother. What uh, what was his? Uh, do you know? I haven't asked. Um, it oh, was fair sudden. Enough. It was sudden, and I know he had kidney problems and everything. And mm. uh, you know, it sounds like it might have been a heart attack, but I don't know. I'm not sure. How old was he? Uh, I believe he was like 49 or 50. Okay. One of the two. He was a couple years older than I was. So. Than I I'm sorry for the loss, man. Yeah, that's really young. That's really he had young. a wife and kids, did he? He did. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, he's leaving a. He's leaving a big hole uh, in a lot of people's lives. I'm, I'm, first and foremost, his wife and, and kids. Um, of course. You know, and then, uh, like, I, I'm going to go to, if it's open to everybody, I'm going to go to the celebration of life that I hear is on Monday. Mm. 
I can't imagine there won't be less than like 500 people there. Oh, yeah. Man was a legend in this area, you know, like he's one of those dudes. Well, I'm sorry um, for your loss, man. That's that's uh, that's a bummer. Yeah, it is. Um, I'm not. Uh, it, it's weird. Mourning and grieving becomes uh, a strange place when you get older. Mm-hmm. And let's face it, like when you're not in someone's life on a regular basis. Yeah, you, you, it's you're a detached. Bit yeah, yeah, it's a it's it's a different uh, experience than when you're when you see someone every day or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. I know it's sad. Uh, I know it's it's heartbreaking, and I I, I feel very 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 um, melancholy for his. I, I don't know if he even had more than one child to be honest with you, but mm-hmm. his daughter. Uh, I know he's got at least one daughter, <clears throat> and his wife. His wife seems really sweet. Um, again, being out of his life for so long. Um, do you ever feel guilty when you grieve in a way that doesn't feel as sad as it should be? Uh, yeah, I, I know what you mean. Um, yeah. Um, hmm. I've been to like 40, 42, 43 funerals in the last 10 or 15 years. Um, That's a lot of funerals, dude. I know a lot of people. Um you know, it, most of them have been cancer. Uh, a couple of car accidents, uh, one kidney, a uh, few, few uh, self-inflicted. Uh, most cancer, though. A military kid moved around the country, so I know a lot of people. But and it is a lot. It's a lot of funerals for somebody my age. Yeah. You know, uh, and and after a while, you get numb to it, and then every now and then you'll be. You know, you hear about so and so just is no longer with us, and you go to their 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 funeral, and it just hits you like a ton of bricks, and unexpectedly. And it was somebody who maybe was you weren't maybe super close to, but it was somebody you knew, somebody you had spent some time with and had some quality conversations with, and then all of a sudden they're gone. And when you show up at their their there was a funeral and then a celebration of life, and the funeral. I mean, I was gutted gutted the last one i went to that really hit me hard because this was somebody who was young um was taken from us tragically and it, i i still feel the pain from that because I, i'm disappointed by the disappointed no hurt harmed sad that we won't get to see her second act she was really coming into her own she was young and uh, anybody who knew her would say the same thing. Like we've been robbed of, of who, you know, what, what, what we could have seen, what she was going to become. We all knew what she was going to become. And we're, we're, we're disappointed because we're robbed of her second act. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback.
Yeah, that's a. I, do you I know what I mean? I, I do know what I mean. There's a guy. Um, uh, my friend Dave passed away. Uh, he was actually my boss. Mm. Um, in the year 2004, 2005, and he was one of those guys that like. <laughs> do you know anyone that's where you're like, hey, I know the nicest person ever. Yeah. He was that. Like he never seemed like he needed to go if someone needed him. He was never the person that was like, okay, <laughs> can we talk about this later? Mm. You know, he was never that guy. He was always the guy that always had time to talk or whatever. And he he worked at a he's like a telemarketing manager. Totally mm. in the wrong field for him because he was so nice. And then what he ended up doing, um, he ended up doing this thing in Hamilton where he he was uh putting pop-up dinners dinner parties mm. in strange places like abandoned jails oh cool you know and like uh you know abandoned warehouses and stuff like that i can't remember what it was called it maybe might have been called pop-up dinner actually but um really well known in his area and he was just such a good host everyone just loved him so much and when he was done okay and i don't this seems like uh like a no-brainer but no one does this when he was done um doing his dinner events he would take all the food that was left over not from the plates but that was left over in mm. the back and and put it and organize it into like meat vegetables starch or whatever and send it immediately to the shelters mm. and be like feed this to them tonight or tomorrow if you don't have any fridges i got a, a fridge big enough and then i'll even drop it off to you tomorrow as long as you promise that you will you know and they and he was just so lovely and um his death hit me really hard. I'm sure it did. Yeah, his name was Dave Hanley, and uh, I wrote a uh, I wrote a thing for uh, Huffington Post or whatever, like his his eulogy kind of thing. Mm. And it, it was weird because the other guilt that sometimes I feel is that I'm so sad about this person dying, even though I wasn't really in their life on a regular mm. basis. You ever have one of those? Yeah, where you're just like all of a sudden you're just devastated at the news of something. And and really, at the end of the day, you didn't spend. I didn't. I I didn't see him. I I saw him once in like fifteen years or something. But he was very supportive. He was very like we we talked on a semi regular basis via messenger kind of thing. But just because I knew of the quality, like the quality, of, you know, a person that he was, it was just so devastating. And he had like a six year old daughter, mm. you know, and a really really lovely wife and. Yeah, I don't know. It's just grief is weird. It, it doesn't hit me the way it, it's not consistent. You know what I mean? Like I, I knew I knew Matt Anderson for mm. um, my 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 upbringing, like uh, you right. know, when I was a teenager in high school and everything like th those are your formative years and everything. Mm. And he was a lovely man. And I am absolutely sad that he's gone. But it's not and it's not the different levels of sadness it's just, i don't understand i don't understand my own grief i guess i don't understand well, my own grieving process so so your friend who who was doing the dinner thing when when he passed away i think and correct me if i'm wrong i think um because this is me sort of self-analysis if you will you're upset at the fact that the world has lost the world is a lesser place without him hmm. the world has lost a good human being and that tends to punch you in the gut a little bit harder because it's like this well, was a Matt good was person the same though but you were less in touch with him i guess maybe a little bit yeah like uh, like yeah. over the last year not so much yeah yeah but i mean he 
But that's another thing is that I'm I'm looking at uh, I'm thinking now I'm cycling through the people that have passed away and and honestly they're um, <laughs> they're one of two categories. There's the ones that you expect to pass away, mm-hmm. and there's the ones that you don't. And and the ones that you don't are often really amazing human beings. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Paul's got to go pee. He I'll be right back. And I'm going to keep his background there. And I want to let you guys know something. That's not his real background. Paul's the only podcaster I've ever met whose green screen background looks like just the normal background that would be there. Which is why, if you were watching Eve or Beaver podcast the other day, I think it was Tuesday, and I asked, uh, and Paul started talking about the puck that he had, <clears throat> the original Ottawa Senators puck or whatever. I was like, why don't you just reach behind you and get it? And he he, he kind of looked frazzled like a deer in headlights. And the reason why is because that's a fake background. <laughs> it's just so funny. It's like, imagine this background that I have right now is just my green screen. James, what, what, what green screen background are you going to use? Oh, I'm going to use a, uh, a background that looks like a shitty curtain in my mother's spare bedroom because I'm staying at my mommy's at 47. Winning. <laughs> um, Re, why do you avoid funerals? Does anyone want to come in? Actually, we have. I have twenty. I have twenty-four minutes left. If someone wants to click that, they they can go right ahead. Um, yeah, Matt Anderson. I'm. Uh, oh man, that's a tough one. A lot of people that are really good souls die young. Like they say, only the good die young. That's not true. A lot of assholes die young too. But but I've noticed that in in my circle of friends, I think I've known maybe ten people in the last four years that have passed away. Uh, like eight, two of them were like people that you expected to pass away, and then the other eight were people that were like, "Oh my God, no, not that person." So, yeah, I'm still on the death thing. Oh, there he is. How many times have you been a have you been a Paul Bear, Paul? Paul Bear. Oh, uh, maybe you're Paul Bear. <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, three times. Three times. So yeah. seven for me. I don't oh know wow. My my grandmother, my uncle. Oh my god, my my opa. My opa was awful because uh, someone had like slipped and shifted and his we could feel the weight of his body shift in the coffin yeah that's yeah that's rough let's get off death yeah okay um dave grohl the keanu reeves of rock stars um you gotta I, I don't like the Foo Fighters all that much. Oh, there you go. Non-alcoholic pale ale, because there's green in the label that kind of... <laughs> Farm Boy, non-alcoholic pale ale, so I'm, gonna, I'm giving it a go. Did you accidentally buy it? or was it <clears> No, I bought it intentionally. <clears throat> People are saying they can't hear me. Oh, uh, yeah, get a little closer to the mic. I am, like, literally touching the mic. Are, are you using the Unify software? Maybe crank it up a bit. Am I? I don't know. Uh, oh, that's pretty good. What is? Oh, I am using the Unify. Why? That's actually really good. It's uh, system a pale ale. It tastes like an IPA. 
Check. And uh, better. We're getting some distortion there. Can you hear me? Yeah, a little distortion. Is that okay? Some type of just yeah, that's a little better. I can't hear you now. Oh no. Yeah, there's a delay. It's weird. Oh, see, people. There you go. To fuck with my audio. That's good. Can't deal with it. Okay, audio output. Headphones. No, it's good. You're good. You're good. Doom. Is that better? Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. I can hear you. Oh, that's a good background. I don't know where that came from. That's you. What that that the fireworks? Yeah. That was you. Wasn't me. No, I just did this. I don't know where they came from. Okay. Well, <laughs> in any event, <clears throat> um, let's end it. I don't want to struggle. I feel like I'm going to okay. struggle. Yeah. You're not carrying. Yeah, I'm just going to let uh, <laughs> Saucy Sea Witch is asking. Uh, uh, so, if you're looking at the Rode USB, I would suggest the XDM 100. That's what Douglas uses, and it's kick ass. What the software? You mean? Uh, the the microphone and the software comes with it automatically. Yeah, the Unify oh, that's software. That's what I have. Yeah, yeah. I haven't opened the Rode Unified software in like months, though. I just assumed that oh, okay. it was so. it was fine, but I was quiet on the Spenny thing too. Spenny was loud. Yeah, you got you, Yeah, but no, you sound well, better now. So yeah, use the software. You might have to update it occasionally, but it this it's it's great software. It really is. <laughs> I like Ellen. Look at Ellen's like. Ended. I just got here. <laughs> okay. Well, you know what? I I have another nineteen minutes before my mom has to go to sleep. This is why I'm ending it early. By the way, oh, my okay. mother. Yeah. Okay. So well, I think Bridget should be on her way over shortly. Actually. Oh, you know, let's try this. Let's try this. So, guys, without giving away anything, there is one way that I can. My house right now in Killaloo, Ontario, has been vacant since um the 4th of January um mm. because i needed a surety do you know what a surety is mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so i need a surety and i couldn't find a live in surety so i'd like to announce today on the casual <laughs> casual friday episode that if i can find a surety to live with me in killaloo rent free by the way i can see my kids again because the only reason I am where I am right now is because the only surety that I could find because I'm not from the the middle of nowhere is mm-hmm. uh, was my mother. She was the closest person. So I need to find someone who will live with me in my... By the way, it's a 4,000-square-foot palace. Yeah. You could live there for free. You have your own bedroom. Uh, my kids are there every seven days for seven days, every other seven days. Um, you wouldn't pay for food or drink. Literally live rent and expense-free, including internet, for the next three months if you become my roommate in Killaloo. I'll wait for the offers to come flying in. <laughs> they should be flooding in. <laughs> Fucking, oh, my God. It's so frustrating. I'm sure it is. Yeah. Sure so, seriously, is. though, if anyone wants to be my roommate, um, by the way, I'm a good roommate because I cook. Um, You know, you get your own privacy. All I do is write and podcast. You won't have any problems. I won't so hit do, on you if you're a girl. Do you not won't. still have a book coming out sometime soon? What's what's the deal with that? Two books. Two books. Holy shit. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. 
Uh, they'll be out by September, both of them. Okay. Yeah. So it's good. My publisher is uh, is happy with the work, so that's good. He's all the deadlines that I blew are now forgiven. So one of them is complete, and the other one is not. So be September. Now you were over in the UK for a bit too, were you not? I was. Yeah. You were there I love to interview London. somebody. Pardon me. Were you there to inter- interview someone? Interview a few people. Yeah. 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 You were in London, were you? I was in London. I was in East yeah. London. London's a great town, man. I love, dude. I I fucking love England. Yeah. Oh yeah. And there's so many good restaurants there that it makes the joke about the English being bad cooks just a shitty one. Well, so a buddy of mine is originally from Manchester. I haven't seen him in a while because he's he's been traveling for work. But uh, we had a good chuckle because he's a sommelier, an actor, and a lawyer. <laughs> And we had a good chuckle about how I go, you know, there was a time when the UK was boil everything in a pot and eat it and maybe put a little salt on it. I go, and now you've got all these famous chefs from London and the UK has become like this culinary scene. He goes, yeah, I never saw that coming. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Jamie Oliver, Gordon Ramsay, and then all of the other ones that come come in behind them. And they have so many amazing restaurants in, in London. They do gravy like no nobody's business. I, I don't understand. The English could overnight take over the poutine market if they wanted to. They got France right there. You get your curds. They make the best gravy and best chips ever. Well, last Sunday, uh, Bridget and I, we so the, the Lieutenant's Pump, where we're, I'll be doing the podcast there tomorrow. Um, <clears throat> if you want to join in for a bit tomorrow, if you got time, I'll send you yeah. a link. Okay, cool. A few people are going to join in. Uh, Douglas, unfortunately, won't be in town. He's going to be in Kingston because he's just getting back from Montreal. Anyway, uh, we went... He's still recovering from Madonna, is he? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, so we went last Sunday. The plan was to go for the primary roast beef because they, pre-pandemic, it was the Sunday thing. They'd have a a big hip of roast beef and they traditional Sunday evening English pub roast. And they just brought it back like two or three weeks ago. And I said, we got to go, we got to go. So we went, but we showed up at like quarter to seven. And because they're just bringing it back, they're only ordering like maybe 25 or 30 plates until they see, you know, what the vibe is like for it. Because it's it's an expensive endeavor, right? Mm-hmm. So they didn't have it. So I'm like, oh. And I'm like, well, here's the next best thing. It's a roast beef sandwich. We'll ditch the sandwich. We'll just have the roast beef with mashed potatoes and gravy. And the gravy was in incredible and i'm not a gravy guy when i go for primary roast beef i want au jus but the gravy was unbelievable and bridget was like i'm not a gravy eater but oh my god i'm like it was incredible it was amazing (laughs) i'm a no jus guy like you but like i i i can't uh, i can't resist a good peppercorn gravy and that's what this was and oh my god was it good when we had dinner at that place that i don't Mm. remember the name the al steakhouse Al's Steakhouse. I had a peppercorn thing. It was pretty good. It was good, yeah. Um, the only thing I didn't like about Al's was that I, I thought the calamari I was getting was grilled, and it was deep fried. No, uh, very disappointing. Guys, listen, if you're into calamari, and you like deep fried calamari, you're not really into calamari. You're into the disguised version of calamari. I Battery can't eat it. Fried. It'll kill me. Oh, you're allergic to that shit, too? Seafood, man. I can't eat it. Have you ever snorted calamari? Because it's different. No, I'm just kidding. 
I lived in Newfoundland for a bunch of years when I was young, from 77 to 1980, and I ate seafood almost every day. And then we moved back to the mainland, and we never had seafood because we lived in Ottawa from 80 to 84. Then we moved to Chatham, New Brunswick for a year in my mother's hometown, which is now called Miramichi City. We were there for one year. My parents bought their first home, and then we got transferred again, so they had to sell the home. And then we moved to uh, Bagotville, which is a Shikutami area. I'm sorry, Whatville? Bagotville. Oh, sorry. I thought I thought that started with an F. I was like, yeah, no, no. it's it's a CF-18 fighter base okay. in uh, near Shikutami. Hmm. So we moved there, and uh, I hadn't eaten seafood in like five years. And we went out one night for dinner, and I had fillet of sole, and went into anaphylactic shock and almost died. And the doctor was like, don't ever eat anything from the ocean again, wow. <laughs> except seaweed, tuna. Oh, tuna. Really? Yeah, well, and, and I had an allergist specialist years ago. He told me, he says, I'm sure there's somewhere, somebody on earth who's allergic to tuna, but we don't have a recorded case of it yet. What? I'm like, really? There's not a recorded case of a tuna allergy. He says, he says, I know damn well by the odds are somebody somewhere is allergic to it, but we don't have a recorded case of it. Yeah, I just want to say to Saucy Sea Witch, you're absolutely correct. Tripe is the most oh, disgusting. No. First of all, I don't know what the fuck it's made out of, but you can I'll taste tell you. it. You can taste it three days later. You want to know what it's made out of? No. Yeah. Okay. Intestinal cord or something, right? That's what it is. Cow's intestines. It's disgusting. Dude, I ate a bite of this, and I was literally, and it wasn't because I was like, it was so gross that I felt like I could taste it three days later i could literally taste it three days later it embeds itself into your mm-hmm. mouth you can mouthwash it doesn't matter you'll always taste tripe mm-hmm. three days later it's disgusting oh my god well I, I never ate tripe because uh my dad grew up on a farm and they ate tripe and and he hated it and he said my children will never eat that so we we only ever ate the finest cuts of beef ever and i remember <laughs> this funny story right when you're a kid you think everybody eats the same way you do. Everybody does the same things you do. Because you're a kid. You don't know any better. And I remember it was Friday. And uh, I said, oh, it's Friday, spaghetti night. You have spaghetti? Yeah, every Friday. And then Sunday's roast beef. You have roast beef? I go, yeah, steak's tomorrow. You eat steak? I'm like, don't, am I the only one here who does this? Because we ate red meat like three or four nights a week. My, my folks, my dad would always buy a side of beef and that would get us right through the winter into the spring. And then in the autumn, he'd buy another one and that would get us through, you know, and that was, we had steak all the time, prime rib. We had, it was, it's just part of our life. And like when I was a kid, I hated, uh, mac and cheese, hated it with passion. And then as an adult, when I was on my own and I was very poor, I learned to like it. Because learn to like ramen instead. Ramen well, you so could, well, better. you know, but but I'm going 35 years ago. Ramen was not as common as it is today. Rom, common ramen. There's you. There you go. Well, now you get four packs of ramen for a buck at the corner store, right? At the at the uh, dollar have store. Have you been? Have you ever been to one of those like good ramen restaurants though? No, but I would like to because I'm told oh. it's an experience. Not only is it experience. First of all, it soup. I don't know if people understand this. When you're when you're a drug addict. You you learn quickly the types of foods that um, a eliminate a hangover and b allow you to come down mm. off of a drug like cocaine. 
It's always soup. Always. Okay. Soup is the greatest food ever. So like when you want to or... stop being fucked up. Honestly. Pho is the great pho is the number one hangover food on the planet. Well, I believe that because I don't know how many times I've been in a pho, pho restaurant at like three in the morning and all the people from the clubs are coming in. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I used to live at Spadana Circle in Toronto. And if you know Toronto, Spadana yes. Circle is just north of Spadana College. You got Chinatown to the south of you. You got the annex to the north of you. You got Little Italy to the uh, west of you. Mm-hmm. And to the uh, other side, you got U of T. It's just it's a cultural hub. Like that, that's that's what that is. But was it only a block and a half away? Um, the greatest hangover food of all time, the pho on Spadina. Yes, it was. Yes, sir, it was. <laughs> and I went there religiously, and it was it was amazing. After a while, it it feels like it's almost like the placebo effect. Mm-hmm. You know, like am I am I really getting rid of my hangover, or am I just thinking I am? And is that okay too? Well, it's That's it's probably the high sodium content, uh, and then when you drink water, your body actually can retain it. Um, I I have like a pseudo condition where if I just drink water, because Bridget always has tons of water, always drinking water. She always always has water at the bedside. I never do. She goes, "Why not?" And I go, "Because I'll have to get up to pee four or five times. <laughs> My body doesn't absorb it well. So for me to absorb water, I need sodium. So it's like." Take some salt, drink some water, or eat a salty food, drink some water. Otherwise, it just runs right through me. I've been like that my whole life. So, yeah. <laughs> and last night we went out to see Dueling Pianos, and I drank four or five glasses of water, and I had a, 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 a sun, what is it, Corona Sun Brew, which is a 0.0 Corona, and it tastes exactly like a Corona. It's great. And I had a glass of wine, uh, uh, Trius Cabernet Sauvignon. Which was really nice. Of course, it gave me terrible heartburn because <laughs> I yeah. ate chili. We had chili for dinner, and then I had a glass of wine. That's not a good combination. I th- I love that combination because I'm Italian. Anything but, tomato based with wine is fine. Oh, it, it's wonderful, but <laughs> just just sleep on your tummy. Yeah, I did. <laughs> but I had to get up three or four times because I drank so much water last night you know, on the non-alcoholic beers. So. Um, I just want to let everyone know I'm having Dave. Do you know who Dave Troy is? He's an American investigative journalist uh, for the Washington Examiner. Yes. That's the one. I'm having him on. Bob Menendez. Do you know who that is? He's a senator out of the States. He was uh, busted for corruption, taking bribes like fucking 15 years ago or something. Busted this year or sorry, last year for um bribery charges related to egypt busted again like three weeks ago for bribery charges related to qatar and here's the interesting part i I have a story that i have a source that has that told me six months ago that this same senator before all this other shit came out um took a million dollars in bribe money from the Taiwanese government for beefing up the Taiwan defense security package from 3.5 billion to 14 billion. And I was like, I don't know. I I can't prove this. I'm like, 
I, I don't have any tertiary sources, so I don't, I don't know how I can help you. And they're like, this person is like, here's another nine names. So, so if this story is true, and I don't know if it is, mm-hmm. this source is telling me that five Democrats and five Republicans that were all on the committee that beefed up the security package to Taiwan from mm-hmm. three and a half billion to 14 billion are all on the take. It's a Wouldn't bipartisan corruption scandal. And then ever since that guy told me that all these other stories about Bob Menendez has been coming out. So I don't know what to do. So I've decided that I'm going to give the story to Dave Troy. Cause I don't mm-hmm. have the resources to like find out if these like wire transfers happen or whatever. So I'm going to give it to him. Maybe share a byline with him or something like that. But he's going to be on the show on February 1st. Imagine if it's true. Like, holy shit. Mm. <laughs> like, you know, for all the things that are wrong with Canadian politics, mm. when you remove Doug Ford from the equation, are we really seeing the type of shit that we see in the United States? Like, yeah, I certainly so hope we never there. do. That's just... That's just beyond right (laughs) that's beyond beyond yeah hold on a second let's see what's going on here because kazi did this too to me um ellen i did go to henry street high school um and then kazi or was it kazi or mohan that was telling me that they they someone else has a whitby connection in the chats curious who it is i did go to henry street high school i went there uh, from grade nine and ten, grade eleven, I got expelled. Went to two different high schools that year. Came back uh, for grade twelve and a half. I did another half semester, so I did like five years or something of high school. But um, <laughs> yeah, um, are you? She just says I do. <laughs> I don't remember what I asked you, Ellen. But what do you do? Do you uh, do you li- you live in Whippy? How old are you, Ellen? Why don't you just click the fucking link? You don't have to be. You don't have to be there in video. But if you click that, we can actually talk. Because uh, I would love. I I have a weird love hate relationship. We have a a mural friend. Is that mutual, mutual friend? friend. Mutual, mutual friend. friend. Can I ask who the mutual friend is, please? Also, same age as Paul. Ellen, are you single? Would you like to date me? <laughs> I need oh, a God, date. Man. I just want to go out and have some food. I just want to go out and have some soup. Can we go out and have some soup? <laughs> I don't worry. I won't hit on you. I don't give a fuck. I I, I I want to get out of here. I've been living at my mom's house since January fourth. I haven't done anything. I I have oh. not done anything at all. So I need Ellen. Ellen, I would like to ask you. For your the pleasure of your company to go buy soup. You want to go buy soup, Ellen? Ramen? Wait, wait. There she goes. Is there a good uh, is there a good uh, faux place nearby? I'll fucking make the soup. I don't give a shit. <laughs> she can meet my mom. <laughs> I feel like Costanza. I am. I'm not unemployed. I'm actually employed. I'm actually. Oh, whatever. I'm. I'm. I'm, <laughs> um, I'm employed. I. I. I I have several charges that are pending against me, and I live with my mommy. So, yeah, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> well, that's why you're a shitty co-host. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> supposed to say something. 
Don't just leave me hanging here. You're living with your moms, eh? That's uh, that... okay. But listen, I want I want to make my plea again because my plea is important. If I can find a roommate to live with me in Killaloo for three months only, rent free, all expenses paid, I can see my kids again. I know how to live with my mom. Well, the only issue with Killaloo is not exactly close. How about you start with the pros, Paul? <laughs> You're in a big house and everything is taken care of. That's right. It is a that's big a, house. That's a pro. So if somebody, very big house. if someone somewhere watching this needs a free place to stay for three months, all expenses paid, James can help you out. That is right. Like, listen, if you're a writer or a painter or a fucking harpist or mm. some sort of arts, whatever, I know what you need. You need rent-free, room and board taken care of, internet taken care of. I know what you need. If you can be that person for me, I will be Daddy Warbucks for you for the next three months. <laughs> you know, there was a time and, and Ellen's like in the middle of ago, nowhere in the winter. Correct, but you know, we'll keep you warm. Savings. Yes. Oh yeah. I had a friend a few years ago who, honest to goodness, he decided he wanted to save some extra money, and I said, well, "Okay, what, what are your plans?" He goes. I'm going to live on my boat for six months. I'm like, yeah. so he goes, I'm getting rid of my apartment. I'm going to put a lot of my stuff. I'm going to sell a bunch of stuff. I'm going to put some stuff in storage. And he lived on his boat from May until late October, actually. And with the dock he was at, uh, they had power hookups. They had Wi-Fi. Uh, he didn't have a shower on his boat, but they had a shower at the boathouse. And he'd go in every morning, take a shower, go and have coffee, have breakfast there, and then go to work, come home and have dinner there. He cooked most of his meals on his boat because he didn't have dinner at the boathouse every night. And he saved something like $25,000. Yeah. That's in, right. In like a nine-month period. Between what he was spending on rent, on travel expenses, on, you know, all the other stuff, he was like, no, I can't beat it. It's the best way. I'm like, yeah, no kidding. I'm even, I, I'm even <clears throat> tempted to offer people like, look, if you want to keep your apartment, I'll pay for your apartment. Oh, well. Like, I, I need to see my kids. You know, yeah, I like, and, and, and this surety situation, I didn't do any, I can't get into the legal stuff, of but I didn't not. do anything wrong. I, I, I am in a situation right now where my kids love me to death. I love them to death. And um, sometimes, let me just speak ambigu ambiguous, amb ambiguously, ambiguously for a second. Yeah. Um, Gary sometimes and, exes uh... can be. They want to play hardball, and the only people that it benefits is them. Mm -hmm. It doesn't benefit the kids or the ex or whatever, and I'm dealing with a situation like that. Uh, a troubled person, a person who needs help, a person mm -hmm. who needs therapy, seriously. Like, mm -hmm. and, and, and this is coming from a person who's currently in therapy. You know, right. like I, I don't, I, I'm an open book. I, I keep my, my shortcomings pretty clear, I think, mm -hmm. on this show. Uh, and, uh, and I need, I, I didn't, I didn't plan on doing a plea for a roommate during this episode of casual Friday, but I need a roommate so I can see my kids and that's just the way it is. So if you want to live rent free and expense free for the next, uh, three months, cause that's all I need is three months. Then, uh, please let me know. Paul, thank you for joining us. I yeah, no, it was fun. Thank you. Um, what am I going to be? Listen, I want to be a guest on eager beaver and 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 Douglas keeps on being like, "Well, what do you want to talk about?" Like, 
Um, what are you guys talking about? We just make it up as we go along. Well, I'll, I'll have you on the uh, the podcast tomorrow for sure. I'll send you a link. Fuck the podcast. I want to be on the show. Well, no, no, no. But the podcast is fun too. I know it is. Uh, yeah, I'll send you a link for that, and uh, yeah, I'll, uh, we'll figure something out. We got a few, we got a few things in the hopper right now. We have uh, next Friday. We have uh, Senator Project Brazo who's going to be on the show. Uh, yeah, looking forward to that. Who's, and who's we've got on the show? Uh, pa- uh, Senator Patrick Brazo. Oh, oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, his people reached out to us, and we're like, yeah, we'd love to have you on. So uh, we've got him for about two hours. He, he was able to get up, free up two hours of his time. So we're really looking forward to it. It should be a really good discussion too. So that, that should be fun. Yeah. He's an interesting character. Is he still a Senator? Oh yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Once a Senator, you're kind of a Senator for life. You have to get booted to not be a Senator. And he's really put in the work and turned his life around in the last couple of years. Um, I still talk to Mike Duffy. Oh yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. On a fairly regular basis, actually. He's, he's, you have to like tell him, Duff, I got to go now. Like, yeah. When you're on the phone with him. But, um, yeah, I feel sorry for, for Duffy because. Where, where's he now? What happened to him? He's in PEI. He is in PEI. Okay. Guys, I know that's where he's from. But, and he's and, back there. His health isn't great. No, he's not been healthy for a long time, though. His wife hates it when he talks to me because I get him all excited. <laughs> you know, I get him all pumped up. <laughs> I keep on telling him, I'm like, do you want to come on the show? My wife won't let me. <laughs> That's too bad. Because I'd love to have you on the show. Oh, well. All right, Paul. Paul All Atkinson right, from the Eager Beaver Podcast. Thank you very much for joining us tonight. I appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, brother. It was fun. All right, buddy. Take care. Talk soon, okay? Bye. Okay, Ellen. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um... It's hard being a guy that jokes all the time because I really do need a roommate to live in Killaloo, Ontario, in a 4,000-square-foot house with your own bedroom. You don't pay for anything, including rent, internet, food, alcohol, shrooms. You know And by the way, living with me, this is us, like, like the James that you guys think you know. I'm not going to be running around like, you know, wearing lampshades and being on shrooms all the time or whatever. That's like once a week, maybe. No, it's not even that. Um, but in order to see my kids, I need a live-in surety. I need uh, someone to live with me for three months. Um, I need a roommate. And that's what it is. So if anyone out there wants to, or knows anyone, degrees of separation, all that. If anyone knows Kevin Bacon, tell him to give me a call because I need a roommate. And we'll see you next time on Blackboard.
podcast that goes everywhere the imagination dares. It's for the open-minded, the pleasure seeker. It's Jeff Woods with the new podcast about relationships and sexuality, theme-based with special guests, the Blue Hotel Hotline, and every episode climaxes with an adult bedtime story. Get a room and listen in at the Blue Hotel. Begins Friday, September 23rd. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people, he, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know? And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast, heard around the world, and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from jeffwoodsradio.com.